A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. both drinking the same wine from afar I know that's sort of a coincidence but not really because you told me to drink it and it's really nice <laughs> but it's a nice like three-quarter bottle are you drinking the little one yeah I thought it was three quarters because there's the smaller versions I'm pretty sure this is half of a bottle of wine because basically what happened the reason I got this was because I went into the supermarket one day and there were no full-size bottles. And it honestly took me, like, I was at mathematician meme where I was trying to work out if the amount of liters you get in two of these versus the big one is cheaper or more expensive. And it's cheaper to buy two small bottles of wine instead of a big one, and you get the same amount. And that's what you call maths. That's what you call savvy shopping. And that's what you call being a genius. The only maths I can do is when it's like working out percentages off clothes in a sale and wine purchases. Or like currency conversions on clothes, like which country it's the best to buy it in. I'm literally all <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're really good at that. Zach told me something really interesting just quickly about maths and arguing with people on the weekend. And I can't remember, I'm going to butcher what he called it, but the idea in maths is that you have to agree on certain variables before you can start to tackle a problem. And the idea is that in order to argue with someone, I guess it's kind of obvious, but you kind of have to have a certain level of agreeing on things before you can go into a conversation on something. That's interesting and doesn't seem to be the way that we approach things. Yeah, no one approaches it that way. Like we're going to talk about the Sia thing. Say, for example, you're someone that thinks that it's never, ever, ever okay for a non neurodivergent person to play a neurodivergent person you're just never going to be able to have a conversation with someone that says well no it depends on the performance Mm. if you're not on a certain level before going in the argument is actually kind of redundant because yeah anyway maths I feel like we try and say the opposite thing though you can find middle ground but I just feel like on twitter so often there's people just arguing Mm. 
in this way where it's just so pointless. Like the base level of belief that each of these people have just means that arguing with each other is kind of just pointless. Yeah, that's very true. Good old maths, good old mathematicians. Mathematicians coming to the rescue. I want to tell you about, I know you already know this because you replied to my Instagram story, but we haven't spoken about it at all. I watched for the first time the Before Sunrise and Before Sunset and After Midnight trilogy. Did you watch all three? You have just been ripping through the flicks. Okay, so I haven't seen After Midnight, but I've seen the first two. I've only seen the first one. I don't know why. I didn't watch the second one because I loved the first one, but I was quite young when I saw it. I am really surprised that, well, I guess this makes sense because I hadn't heard of anything, any movies until I got to like 22, but I'm really surprised that being the rom-com lover I am, I had never heard of these before ever. And basically it's Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, who's just the hottest woman to grace the earth. Oh my god, I just remember when I watched it the first time, I was like, how can a person be this beautiful? Yeah, and the film was shot in 1995, the first one, Before Sunrise, and it's them meeting on a train and then getting off in Amsterdam, I think it was. They were supposed to, She was supposed to be going to Paris and he was supposed to be getting off and he convinced her to get off with him. And spend a night together. And then they agreed that they'd meet in the same place in six months time. And they didn't exchange numbers or anything because they were being romantic. And then the film ends. And then the next film takes place literally 10 years later. So 2005. So both actors are obviously 10 years older. And then they meet up again after having not seen each other in 10 years. And then the next film is another 10 years later. So it was 2014 or 15 that it... Oh, yeah, that it was filmed. Maths. I'm like, hmm. This maths coming in hand. <laughs> Such a sweet little flick. Real feel-good scenario. Yeah, I watched it on Valentine's Day, like a true freak. Mm. And then the other film I watched that I hadn't seen or heard of is Sure and Nicolas Cage in a movie. <laughs> is that Moonstruck? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't seen Moonstruck either, but I am aware of how bad it is that I haven't seen it. Cause it is that the one she won the Oscar for? I think so, yeah queen yeah it's a weird movie i actually wasn't i was being naughty and wasn't paying that much attention but it's great i don't my, my adhd brain was just like i was like too many movies must think about like nothing <laughs> <laughs> that's what i do when i don't concentrate you're like meditating yeah. i think nicholas cage is super underrated mm. that's my hill that i constantly choose to die on i think he's a great actor you and the boyfriend think the exact same. Oh, does he? Yeah. You two are the same person anyway. Nicholas Cage. Good taste. Nicholas Cage. <laughs> Nicholas Cage. Thank you. Oh, and I have one other funny recommendation because people seem to like my notes app, Rex. This one is less to do with being ADHD and more to do with kind of journaling, I guess. But basically, for the past two years, at the end of each year, I've been just going on my notes app and going through and listing the highlights of the year. Aww. Usually it's kind of top line, so it's just like, travelled here, did this, did that kind of thing. But even like career goals and little things. And I did it for last year. And then this morning I woke up at 5.30am. So I have Panadol beside me, so I just got a headache. Because <laughs> it's like 4pm and I'm exhausted. <laughs> That's illegal. Yeah, and I got up and started writing them out by month. So I did this January and February and just said all of the fun shit I did in January and February, even though obviously it's lockdown. So the fun shit was yeah, like... I was going to say quite a short list, surely. <laughs> the fun shit was like, <laughs> learned how to skip, watched like these movies. 
<laughs> but you know what I mean? Learn how to skip. COVID is going to make all these months blur into one and you're just going to be like, what the fuck did I even do? Like, like I wrote down, I learned how to make a tiramisu, learned how to make a cheesecake. That's so true. I even think about the fact that like there's no photographic evidence really of this time. I really need to buy, yeah, a camera. It'd be nice to have a picture of me and Zach in lockdown in the house just for memories. At least you got the podcast. That's a bit of a time capsule. Although we'll never, ever listen back to it. <laughs> ever, 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 ever listen back. <laughs> when we're 50, we'll listen back. And... Yeah, that would be funny. We'll be like Joan and Jerrica then. We'll still have the pod. We'll, st- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll still have the podcast. We'll have had all the old episodes like dragged up in 2048 and we'll be retroactively cancelled. Yeah, we would have each had like children and then they're all grown up. We're still doing the pod. They'd be like, stop. Oh my God. Imagine. That might happen. Yeah, we definitely will. That's a really nice idea, Izzy. I like that. A few notes. A few notes. Sorry to go off on a tangent, but there was a piece in GQ, it's kind of a similar thing, but it was called The Lost Era of Music and it was about how up until the 90s you owned records and then cds and then in the noughties when we were young you had everything on an ipod nano that you've now lost and you don't have your old itunes so everyone's lost all the music that they listened to in those 10 years i thought that was so interesting yeah that's how i feel about photos in a way i really miss i feel like i should have potentially done photography because i randomly all the time like if i'm on my phone i'm like looking through my camera roll like a freak but um, <laughs> it's so strange. I miss having photo albums, physical photo albums to look through. And obviously because now it's all on our phone and they're so easy to access, you kind of don't put photos in frames anymore or get them printed. My really good friend Leah, she, for her and her boyfriend's anniversary, got three photo albums for the three years they'd been together made of old pictures and then she's going to get him a new one every year which is really cute that's really because she cute. said she wanted her kids to have their kids to have something to look through and she said it's good because now that she's thinking about it she's thinking about taking photos while they're doing stuff because she said the first few were a bit of a stretch yeah which means means Zach's first six years would be like four photos yeah because that's the thing you now we've talked about this on the pod before as well this is just old chat being regurgitated but now I don't take any photos because I think of them as being for social media or whatever. They're not going to go anywhere. So I just have no pics. Mm -hmm. In our prime, in our absolute prime, we're missing out on all of these hot shots. I feel like I'm past my prime, but yeah. No. Okay, my recommendation is I read the book Marie Antoinette by Antonia Fraser, which is the book that the Sofia Coppola movie is based off mm. and it was really interesting and I'm obsessed with Marie Antoinette like I was last week with Courtney Love and she's very misunderstood a never said let them eat cake b was telling her husband and all her in-laws that they should stop wearing nice clothes because it was insensitive she was like princess Diana-esque where she would always get out of the carriage to look after poor people and diseased children and she, they just treated her horribly because it was a really misogynistic culture and she was wrongly blamed for all of this stuff. Yeah, wasn't she? She was blamed for ages because she hadn't had an ear, but her husband wouldn't have sex with her. He wouldn't buss her, yeah, for seven years. For seven years? That's ages. And then on the You're Wrong About Podcast, that is, that is ages. <laughs> and on the You're Wrong About Podcast, they were saying that um, 
They think he had a medical condition or something and then got it fixed. In the book, it said that they thought his grandfather, who was the king, was like, what is wrong with him? And sent a doctor in. And then the doctor said, no, he's fine. He's just a bit shy. Oh, it. He was a little muffin. They were literally two little muffins who just accidentally got embroiled in this thing. And they were both really nice. And they got just destroyed and her best friend everyone thought she was a lesbian with her so they killed the best friend us i was was thinking about you when this happened they killed her best friend put her head on a spike and put it outside marie antoinette's window so she would see it and she fainted oh my god can you think of anything more fucked up and they made her son testify that she'd sexually molested him when he hadn't to try and make the country think she was a bad mother because everyone thought she was a good mother so they didn't want to execute her so they came up with this this fake story oh my story. god i knew none it's of it's really this. interesting it's actually really fucked she's like such a wrongly maligned person she wasn't this amazing like feminist person or anything she she's just been mistreated by history whoa man head on a spike yeah head on a spike naughty behavior from the french I know. And then obviously, like you, I've just been wrapped up in all this Australian government stuff, which you wrote a very good piece about today for Vogue. Aww. Shout out. me. Oh my God, wait, quickly. On, the, on Valentine's Day, we had another amazing listener send a message. She responded to my DM, Alyssa. She's so good. She was like, love you. Oh, my God. Jare me. But I do love you and Izzy. I'm drunk and want to have a ciggy with you both. And I go the next morning, not Jare. You are fab. And she goes, I am so perplexed at myself for sending this. <laughs> I know. We get so many good drunk And I DMs. couldn't even spell Jare correctly. I am so, so perplexed funny. at myself for sending this. <laughs> yeah. We get, we get so many drunk DMs. You know, we got a drunk DM. I can't remember if it was me or Afterwork Drinks. I feel like it was Afterwork Drinks. A girl being like, Jade, you guys, um, I shouldn't be drinking with this naughty boy, but I am. And then I was like, and then she sent a photo and then I opened it. And then she, I was like, haha, like, well wishes. And then she <laughs> sent back another one um, in the morning of them in bed together. I was like, you guys. (laughs) I was like, this is dirty. And then later she was like, I apologize. That was too far. That will never happen again. again. (laughs) No, I love it. It's it's the best thing ever. The drunk DMs are also really funny because all the time people will be like, Jardin me. It's the best word. I did it recently where I drank a bit too much wine and I woke up and I'd sent love hearts as a reply to Adroa Aboa's instagram selfie what like a story she put up i'd been like three love hearts as if she was my friend obviously she hadn't seen it but i looked at it and i was like oh my god (laughs) yeah i used to do that a lot remember our friend who um used to send people drunk dms and like reply to people's stories and stuff and then drunk her would delete all the evidence of her doing that yes because she'd be too scared to see it when she woke up in the morning. So there'd be no evidence that she'd sent all these people DMs. That would almost make me more anxious because I'd be like, what did I unsend? That's so much yeah. worse. <laughs> she wouldn't even unsend it. She'd just delete it mm-hmm. somehow. So she couldn't see it. Oh, my oh, God. It's very naughty. can't remember the last time I sent an embarrassing drunk DM, but surely it wasn't that long ago. It's probably the, like, Harry Styles or something. <laughs> probably abusing <laughs> <laughs> like the other... 
teenagers. <laughs> you fucking slut. Get away from my man. <laughs> you old bitch. <laughs> She's like my You're, um, age. a bit too old for him, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> he should be looking more around the 30 mark. Oh, that's so funny. <clears throat> okay. Uh, yeah, sorry. So back to something serious. The situation in Australia. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Not good. <laughs> I can't believe the way they responded to uh, Brittany Higgins is atrocious. So if you haven't been across this, if you're outside of Australia, basically, because everyone in the country is very likely across this, a young woman called Brittany Higgins, who was working for the Liberal Party in Australia two years ago, alleges that on a night out, she was drinking on a Friday night out a few weeks after she started. She got quite drunk and she wanted to go home and went to get in a cab and a male colleague said he was going the same way as her, but needed to pop into work first. Work being Parliament House, as in like a government building that's secured 24-7 by security guards and CTV footage and everything. And Brittany alleges that, well, they they did go into the building together because there's CCTV footage. And then um, she alleges that in the office of her former boss... Is this woman known? I don't, I didn't know her name, but she's the defense minister. Yeah. In the office of her former boss, who was the defense minister, Brittany says that she woke up as she was being sexually assaulted. She then went to work on Monday and was called into a meeting because people had seen the, the security breach. And that's when she told her... Linda Reynolds. Oh, yeah, her senior. Yeah, it was like, it was, she was like a stand-in or something. Fiona. And that's when she told the woman questioning her, another colleague, that kind of one of her seniors, that she had been raped. Since then, basically, Brittany says that the tone of the conversation changed dramatically from being kind of a warning, what were you doing in the building, to kind of more of a, this is an HR kind of PR disaster, we need to get this under control, and... Basically, she was made to sweep it under the rug and carry on as if nothing had happened. So the alleged perpetrator, I didn't fully understand this in the interview. So Brittany Higgins spoke to Lisa Wilkinson on the project. The alleged perpetrator was moved on kind of immediately. I don't know if he was technically fired. It doesn't sound like it. And he now works in Sydney. Apparently, he was admitted to hospital today for severe depression or something he's obviously like completely shitting it he's gonna be like the most hated man in australia once his name comes out Mm. basically the defense minister linda reynolds linda reynolds um said without directly saying that an election was coming up and they didn't want the bad press involved so encouraged Brittany not to take it further The strange thing is that the Parliament House is not under the jurisdiction of the normal police force. It's under the jurisdiction of the AFP, Australian Federal Police. Yeah, I found that so interesting. Well, I think that's why that guy took her there. I assume that he he knew that because I don't really understand why. Otherwise, if you're on your way to her house, you would sideline to go into Parliament House at midnight. I just thought that was really 
odd. But yeah, because why would you take someone somewhere where there's CCTV footage and security guards when you were already heading in the direction of... I think, though, they weren't... They definitely weren't going home together. No, she was in a taxi to go home and he jumped in to be like, I'll ride share with you kind of thing. Yeah, so maybe this was a way of getting her inside somewhere. Whereas, like, in the cab, he would have had to bank on her falling asleep for her to get anywhere. God, just the audacity is just... Yeah, it's, it's absolutely horrible. Anyway, so the politicians kind of control the AFP. There's a weird relationship there. So basically, she was left on this couch in this minister's office, barely conscious and half-dressed, and several security guards came in and no one raised the alarm. There's now allegations that the whole office, which was a crime scene and which people knew was a crime scene, was professionally steam cleaned the following morning. Wow. Yeah, it's fucked. And no no one basically encouraged the AFP to open an investigation. She couldn't get any help for months. Yeah, and they wouldn't provide the CCTV footage to the whatever this police force is. Is that the AFP that were asking for it? Yeah. Yeah, they wouldn't provide the CCTV footage. What the fuck is going on? The whole thing is... It's literally outrageous. It's yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, basically, Brittany, like, wasn't supported at all. She was basically given the option of keeping her job or leaving it. She decided to keep it because she'd worked her whole life for it and didn't want that to be another thing that she was suffering from. Look, you're already suffering from trauma. You don't want to lose your dream job at the same time. Kept her job and then was basically having panic attacks when she was trying to go into work every day because it was the scene of where she was raped. So horrific. The defence minister brought her in to her office to conduct an interview about the alleged assault. Which happened in the office. physically where it happened. Like, the lack of any sort of tact or sensitivity is just kind of staggering. Yeah, so that happened two years ago and Brittany's since left her job and she was doing this interview to kind of speak about the culture of silence and the fact that that was hidden away. And then in response, Prime Minister Scott Morrison was just absolutely useless (laughs) and basically he kind of responded in a really shit way and the next day said that he went home to his wife and his wife explained to him that he has daughters and to imagine that Brittany was one of his daughters and that was the only way that he could evoke empathy for her situation and he said it in a way as if we were supposed to be stoked that he'd figured out that impressed by that yeah it's it's a bit of a mess it's interesting because I was talking to Zach's sisters Alex and Audrey about this And I just said the same thing we've said before. I just said, just from a PR perspective, I'm so shocked that he thought that was a good idea to say. Like, he obviously thought it was Mm. a good thing to say. But they said that, unfortunately, for a really vast majority of Australian men, that probably is the only way they empathise with it. Like, it it, it probably is 100% true that that's the only time he recognised that. And he probably actually was speaking to a lot of people who actually changed their opinion on it when he said that. That's kind of the scary part. I actually had a paragraph about that in my piece and then I took it out and it was basically just saying that in a way what he's saying does make sense that men can only empathise with women being sexually assaulted if they literally sit down and think of them as being their wives and daughters and sisters because they've obviously not thought like that because there'd be far less assaults if they had or if they understood what consent was properly and had actually thought it Mm -hmm. through like he was saying 
there'd be way less assaults. Like men of the world need women to sit down and say, imagine if this was your daughter right before they go to sexually assault someone and then they likely wouldn't. But it's just insane that that needs to happen. Exactly. And it's obviously there are tools for helping cater empathy, right? It's maybe it's easier to empathize with how difficult it would be for men in war situations if you imagine it was your brother or your boyfriend like obviously that's just a basic element of empathizing with people is to imagine someone you know but you would just expect the prime minister of a country to have a more sophisticated understanding of something like workplace abuse of women you know obviously we're all rationalizing and empathizing in our own ways but we don't go out and expect a round of applause that we've had this realization. Like he'd obviously just realized this fact, which is so scary for like a 55 <laughs> yeah. year old man that's running the country and making laws that affect women's yeah. livelihoods. And which I think is part of the reason Brittany came out to come out and say that so soon after he has been on stage awarding Grace Tame Australian of the Year for coming out and lobbying to get the government to change their laws on allowing victims or victim survivors to speak out. He's just on this whole press tour with Grace Tame and he's still now thinking, actually. Has no idea. It just shows how, like, little people want to have these conversations or have these thoughts or process these thoughts. We were talking about this before, like, earlier today. Just even the way Brittany was treated by other women and by other people in her office, by people just kind of brushing her off and not wanting to have the conversation with her and it's because they don't want to feel uncomfortable they don't want to have this like emotional baggage that they have to deal with they don't want to have to have someone telling them that they were sexually assaulted at their work and have to deal with it so everyone just brushes it off and that's what he would have been doing he would have just been like I don't want to have to deal with this until his wife said you need to think of it like this which is petrifying because the leader of a country should be able to empathize outside of their own experience otherwise every law and everything they do is going to be for a cis white older male yeah based on their perspective i think it is really interesting that the two ministers Brittany higgins worked for were both women so it was linda reynolds in defense and then michaela cash and there was like the fiona woman that she told in the first instance i do think something that potentially played into this is that there has already been stories, including a Four Corners report, about a culture that is inhospitable, putting it mildly, to women in the Australian Liberal Party. I think my first reaction is to kind of condemn the women that failed Brittany Higgins kind of on a harsher level because I just think, God, women should be having extra solidarity with the young women in their office. But part of me wonders if there's an element of how difficult it is for any woman to get to the role of minister in that Liberal government, probably on both sides of Australian government, to be honest, that there's a part of you that thinks, God, I don't want to be the person that loses us the election by bringing up a rape allegation. I don't want the spotlight on me. I don't want to take on this cause. I just want to bury my head in the sand and keep working and because I've already worked so hard to get this job. I imagine there's some rationalisation of the women in that office feeling like they've already had to work so so much harder than all of their male contemporaries to get there that they're even more scared to jeopardize it I mean it's incredibly cowardly like it's not a justification it's awful it's inexcusable I actually think they should both resign but I can see that maybe that's something that played in terms of the fact that both her bosses were women I wonder if that's like a an element of what was going on yeah totally yeah okay on to 
a controversy this week. I mean, it's a controversy that's been bubbling for quite a while, but the film officially came out this week, is Sia's debut movie, Music, which I don't think I've seen a film be as universally slammed as this in quite a long time. Maybe James Corden in... And it was nominated for a Golden Globe, huh? Two Golden Globes. (laughs) Oh my God. Stop. (laughs) Further proof that the Golden Globes are extremely naughty. So this movie, Music, is about an autistic teenager, a non-verbal autistic teenager who is adopted by her older sister, who is a drug dealer. The older sister is played by Kate Hudson and the autistic teenager is played by Maddie Ziegler, who doesn't have autism. Basically, the film has been slammed on many, many many fronts so the first is maddie ziegler being cast i'm actually going to do like a justice for maddie ziegler thing in a minute but she has been cast in this role and has basically been accused of performing the role in a a really caricature-esque way that to many people feels like kind of mockery or the kind of mannerisms that people use while making fun of autistic or neurodivergent people the story is basically about there's all these song and dance numbers that is like meant to be (laughs) you can hear me exhausted like talking about this because there's just so many levels in which this movie is fucked maddie ziegler's character escapes out of reality in this fantasy world it's basically an excuse for Sia to direct kind of eight to ten music videos with her new songs in them because there's ten new songs in the movie and there's a story kind of loosely thrown in in between these music videos. But in the music videos, Maddie Ziegler's character isn't autistic. So it's this dream world she escapes into where she isn't neurodivergent. Oh, my God. So that in itself has been criticised that people are saying that's just weird. Like, people with autism don't escape into these fantasy worlds where they're not autistic. Like, that's a really strange thing to be kind of promoting. And then those music videos are really over-the-top, like, sensory overload, pop colours, crazy stuff going on. And a lot of people with autism have sensory overload and photosensitive epilepsy so they couldn't go see this movie because it would be the worst possible thing for their symptoms. So the idea is basically that Sia came up with this film, did zero consultation with the community she's depicting and has been really crazy in every criticism she's had. So someone tweeted her saying, because she said that she had an autistic actor originally in mind to play the role but that the actor wasn't up to the task of shooting schedules and things so she got maddie (laughs) oh my god that's so bad that's so cringe and then a bunch of autistic actors were tweeting her saying i don't know anyone who was asked to audition for this role i could have done this role my friend could have done this role and then sia tweeted back maybe you're just a bad actor (laughs) oh my god (laughs) she's so naughty Another element that has been really controversial is there is a scene in which Kate Hudson's character is taught to hold down music, which is the name of Maddie Ziegler's character, which is just so cringe. Yeah. (laughs) Music. To hold her down through a physical restraint, which is face down on the ground while she's having, it's referred to as meltdown safety. It's when certain people with autism basically need to be physically calmed because they've got themselves into a physical state and in one scene Kate Hudson's character is taught how to physically hold 
assistive music down through a prone restraint, which is face down on the ground. But that usage of the prone restraint has led to multiple, multiple deaths of autistic children in youth homes and schools and has been criticised and frowned upon by the entire community. But they, like, depict this practice of holding down an autistic child, like, face down on the ground to calm them down when it's been called barbaric and a practice no one should be using in schools or youth homes by relevant bodies. What the fuck? So the whole thing is just a massive mess. But the reason I feel really bad for Maddie Ziegler is she was 14 when this was filmed and she told Sia she didn't want to do it because she was worried that she would do a bad job. She'd never acted before. Sia has said in an interview she started crying the first day of filming because she was so scared that people were going to think she was making fun of them. And Sia basically said, I wouldn't shoot it with anyone other than Maddie. What the fuck? Is that not so naughty? Sia's nearly 40 years old. poor teenager i know she was 14 so now i feel like she's the face of this public controversy she obviously can't come out and condemn it because she would obviously have signed like ndas and stuff and yet she's being cancelled but she was literally a kid being forced to do this incredibly inappropriate thing and then i was reading essays being like is this maddie ziegler see a thing a bit off yeah I was going to say that. I was like, of course she got Maddie Ziegler. Like, I was like, if, is she even an actress? No. No, she's not an actress. In 2017, Maddie Ziegler said, I've actually lived with Sia this year more than I've lived with my family. And she was 14 then. I just think that we're giving Sia a lot of leeway because she's a woman. And then Sia said, me casting... <laughs> God, what is wrong with her? Like, what is wrong with all these people? <laughs> Sia says that her hiring Maddie... It wasn't ableism. I mean, it was ableism as well, but it was actually just nepotism because I literally can't do a project without her and I don't want to. I wouldn't make any art if it didn't include her. That is a weird thing to say about a child. Why is she living in your house for six months of the year when she's 14 and you're 37? Like, it was cute when you made the music video and she danced the first time. Wasn't that the one with Shia LaBeouf that was kind of weird? Or was that a later one? Oh, I can't even remember. All I know is that she's famous because Sia put her in a music video because she's a good dancer. But that's obviously why she felt like she had to be in this movie, even though she knew she didn't want to because she knew it was offensive. And she was 14 and she was literally forced to. And now she's 18 when it's coming out. Her whole Instagram is flooded with people abusing her. And she can't say anything about it because she probably doesn't want to break ties with Sia. Oh, my God. We need to free Maddie Ziegler. Literally free Maddie Ziegler. I feel like there's something disquieting about this relationship. Man, I feel sorry for her. So do I. But Jesus, like, you I, you got to see the trailer alone. It's like, dude, dude. <laughs> so there's a behavior that autistic people, not just autistic people, but autistic people can demonstrate, which is called stims. It's a self-stimulatory behavior that is marked by repetitive actions or movements, such as repeatedly tapping on objects or snapping the fingers, blinking eyes, rocking from side to side or grunting. And it's usually associated with certain conditions such as autism. But the thing with stims is that if you understand autism, they are protective responses to unpredictable environmental stimulus. So there's always kind of a reason for them. But in the way Maddie Ziegler played this role, they kind of happened for no reason and are just used as kind of character quirks and characterizations, which is completely not in line with what people with autism actually do. So the whole thing's a disaster. It's been nominated for two Golden Globes when I Made a Story got nominated for none. (laughs) What the fuck is with that? I just think the whole thing with the Golden Globes, the thing we should be talking about, like obviously... They're 
racist and all of that. But the thing we should be talking about is literally people buying awards and people conning their way into awards. Like, I could not... Obviously, it makes complete sense, but I could not believe that actors write handwritten notes to every single member of the Hollywood foreign press to try and get a nomination. Well, Bradley Cooper was, like, embarrassing, I think, in his lobbying to get something for A Star Is Born. There was... The stories about him came out at the time that he was flying every member of the Hollywood foreign press out to, like, his house in Hollywood and doing all these lunches and stuff because he was obsessed with getting a Best Director award but he still didn't get one <laughs> genre <laughs> that was like a fine movie too it's better than Sears <laughs> if Bradley Cooper has what he deserves Bradley Cooper hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees promo rate for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Moving on, I want to talk about kink. Kinky sex. Love it. The reason being, actually, this first of all came from an article that I read on ID earlier this week about vanilla shaming, but then we have been thinking about kink and fetishes in the fetish community since the Army Hammer allegations. Because basically all of us, us included, were like so quick to excuse his behavior because we didn't understand kink. And we thought that it was kind of that don't ask, don't tell thing where these women were sharing experiences they'd had with him. Because we had no idea of what BDSM and the kink community kind of was or what that entailed. We were sort of like, okay, we don't know where the line is, which was wrong because basically even if you're in a BDSM kink relationship and things start one way and then turn into a completely different thing. They become non-consensual. So it was wrong of us and other people to kind of act that way. But I think the whole fact that kink and fetishes and BDSM is so like hush-hush and not talked about, it literally means that we know nothing about it so that people like Army Hammer and now Marilyn Manson and all of these men that use the rough sex defense are getting away with it because if we don't understand kink, imagine how hard it must be to explain it to like a rigid legal system or to a media landscape that thinks in black and white that a line was crossed. I think with the army hammer thing as well, like our first reaction, which I think many kind of liberal leaning people's first reaction is not wanting to shame a fetish. And it just showcases how much gray area and nuance there is in this discussion. Because I think the mistake that 
we made was thinking we don't want this fetish community to be shamed for their fetishes when obviously it's so much more complicated than that. So basically, yeah, we, we've been thinking about kink for the past few weeks and then the cut actually released an episode of their podcast about kink and all of the misconceptions about the kink community. So it talked about how culturally kink doesn't get talked about seriously, which is true. We either kind of whisper about it as something that's forbidden, which is sort of what we would do or you kind of laugh about it like old people trying to spice up their love lives or you talk about 50 shades of gray and that's kind of as far as it goes or that horrible netflix movie 365 days being kind of our barometers of like what we think kink is is just so stressful in itself and then i was also um reading a guardian piece earlier this week about a new kink book that's coming out and on the cut they actually interviewed the authors of the book who had pulled together a whole bunch of different authors to write erotic kink fiction including roxane gay who we both love and they were saying there's no wonder that speaking about kink feels so wrong because literally only since 2010 the american psychiatric association declared fetishism as well as bdsm to no longer be a pathology oh wow so before 2010 people lost jobs for being kinky parents were declared unfit because they had an interest in BDSM. So it was this, it was like this really, really secret thing that you didn't talk about. It was like driven underground, basically. Yeah. And then because we're so in the dark, men are hiding behind being kinky in order to abuse people. And sexual violence is becoming mistaken with sexual liberation. It's so interesting as well, because hearing people talk about kink, and it, it makes so much sense. The basis of it is the opposite of what people like Army Hammer and Marilyn Manson are being accused of doing. Whereas because you're exploring with domination and subordination, there's so much communication and it's like so much more communicative than actual quote unquote vanilla sex because you're discussing the parameters beforehand. And then if they're changing during sex, you're communicating if you're feeling comfortable with things as they happen. That doesn't tend to happen in non-kink sexual encounters there's like no communication Mm. and so in many ways something that's being framed as something that's kind of subversive or like scary or different is actually like a much more healthy way of initiating sex when done properly someone who is a sexual health expert who has experience in the fetish community said that the governing guidelines that bind the community of bdsm and fetish together a respect, consent, and safety. And the fact that these men are leaning on this as being a defense for their behavior is so off, but because we just know nothing about this community, if you're not a part of it, you just feel completely in the dark. You're just like, okay, I don't want to kink shame you, so that's fine, you do you, I'll do me. And then we're completely missing this huge kind of area where perpetrators can kind of use our lack of knowledge to their advantage yeah and like you say it's when it's something that we find so difficult to even make sense of in our social discussions of it you can see how it would be so easy to like manipulate a legal system and that's what happened with grace malane yeah really to a certain extent that was the rough sex defense was basically abolished in new zealand because of that case Mm. that was exactly what her murderer tried to use as an excuse The rough sex defense in homicide cases has increased by 90% in a decade. Wow. So like if only for that reason we need to learn more about the shame 
surrounding kink so that we all understand it. And my other thing is like, because we don't talk about kink other than kind of recent, in recent years, people being a bit more open about the really easy to understand kinks such as light choking and spanking, what the people who wrote this kink book, what they said is what can result is a lot of shame. So like hiding and denial and loneliness Despite the fact that there was a study done in 2017 on OkCupid and 71% of the 400,000 people said that they were into kink. So it's not this small subgroup of people. But because we don't talk about it, so many people feel shame for feeling like this. I really liked how in the Cuts podcast episode, the authors said that the thing about kink is that they wanted to get across in the book was that it's just another medium for expression. So some people experiment with kink and love it and find it liberating, but some experiment with it and really don't like it and find that it isn't what they expected it to be or isn't what they wanted. And some are just like, eh, I'm not that interested. It's like this idea that we're trying to be like, wait, is kink good or is it bad? It's like the, the problem, it's kink just exists and it's like any other thing. Mm. A medium for humans to experiment with things so like trying to frame it in one way or another is a massive mistake I love the point that Roxanne Gay made which was about how she is as most people who've read about her or read her work know a victim of sexual abuse and she said that the kink community was a really kind of helpful healing place for her in her early 20s because she was renegotiating her own kind of sexuality and it allowed her, like we said before, to like really set the boundaries and parameters. And it actually made her feel really, really safe and learn how to get in touch with her own sexuality again. Yeah, she was saying for someone who had experienced sexual violence, the fact that she could say, this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what we're doing. Before she'd even got into the place where she was seeing this person and knew exactly what was going to happen. There was a word if she wanted it to stop. That sounds um, fab to me. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's really powerful and it's actually something that we should all be looking at incorporating into our own sexual lives. You know, I'm a big Esther Perel gal and she's always saying that, you know, the lack of communication anyone, people tend to have around sex is crazy. Yeah. Like she was like, if you've been married for 20 years, put sex in your calendar three times a week like you do dinner dates or whatever and she said people rub against that were like no it's meant to be spontaneous and thing and she's like where did you get that idea from like you need to work at your sexual relationships to make them fulfilling you Mm. need to talk about them all the time you need to like negotiate them you need to try new things and test things and blah 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 and I feel like this is the same thing I think because obviously for women especially like there's such a shame around your sexuality and your bodies and whatever that's been projected by this patriarchal society but even just when you take it down to the fact that you're literally naked and kind of have all of your barriers and inhibitions are gone it is like a very scary thing to then be like Do you like that when I do that (laughs) or not? (laughs) I also think that a lot of the reason this like pleasure gap exists in sex between men and women is because honestly, I think it's both parties. I don't think it's just a a women thing, but I think people are scared to or unable to or not used to communicating what they actually like or what makes them feel good. Or if someone's doing something 
poorly or if things aren't working or they're not, you know, I think there's a bit of a shame involved in that. And I think it probably happens more so with women because I guess we're just used to not being assertive (laughs) culturally. Mm. So I think even that idea of feeling very empowered to say, this is what feels good and you're going to do this and you're going to stop when I tell you to, there's something kind of great about that totally so basically we were first we were going to talk about this new phenomenon of vanilla shaming but first we want to talk about kink shaming but now (laughs) there's this new movement on tiktok especially towards kink wherein people are being shamed if they aren't into it and shamed for wanting boring quote-unquote vanilla sex so there was this really great article on id this week which was exploring vanilla shaming on tiktok and um, it kind of explored all of these subgroups like Freak Talk, where people are posting content showing bruises from sex, joking about being choked, spit on and hit. And this just is not niche at all. All of the videos have millions and millions of views. It's a huge thing going off on TikTok in a predominantly kind of teens, early 20s social media platform so freak has 1.2 billion views and choke me has 45.3 million and then in these kind of groups or on these videos if anyone tries to say that they are not into sex like that they're shamed and bullied for being vanilla so there's this new thing where women in their teens and 20s being told that not enjoying being slapped or choked is abnormal it's kind of completely switched in this kind of specific wow social media account which is quite terrifying and porn of course is naturally again to blame um so the article notes that 88 percent of the most watched porn scenes contain active physical aggression against women and then this is where i pulled the quote from the women talking about bdsm because a lot of people are saying this tiktok community or this tiktok subculture this is kink this is fetishes this is bdsm and then there's people in the bdsm community saying no this isn't at all because BDSM is about respect and safety and uh, communication. And this just like there was a 365 days challenge, which is that stupid Netflix movie. I don't know if you watched it. Did you watch it? No, I remember hearing about it. I think it was like in Russian or something. And basically it was like 50 shades of gray, but way more intense. I didn't watch it. I think I flicked through a bit of it. Cause I wanted to, I thought we might talk about it on the podcast. Yeah. I remember the problem with it was that she'd been like physically kidnapped in the story. So people yes. said that like the power dynamic was so off that you can't really showcase like a sexy relationship when she's being held against her will even if she seems like a willing participant. And again, kind of randomly, it's always these billionaires being into kink. So Fifty Shades of Grey, he's a billionaire. And this one, he's this like full billionaire and they're on this super yacht. It's it's weird. Yeah, but there was this 365 day challenge where all these young women on TikTok were showing their bruises, like full bruises all over their body from rough sex. Bloody hell. Yeah, so now people are being shamed for... People are being shamed for having kinks. People are being shamed for not having kinks. For wanting a, a, a cuddle in a 15-minute... <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with a bit missionary. of missionary? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's really interesting. I'm always, like, a bit reticent to be like, oh, the kids have gone crazy because I just, like, every generation does that about the generation beneath them and they always just sound old and out of touch, but... The kids have gone crazy. (laughs) That does sound like the kids have gone crazy. (laughs) 
speaking of people getting shamed for sex, let's talk about this girl that got cancelled on Twitter for saying she misses having a random buzz. <laughs> yeah. Our queen. An actual legend. So it's been obviously, I know everyone in Australia and New Zealand have kind of different realities to us over here, but it's been almost a year since people in the UK and USA, I'm pretty sure, have been able to party. And then earlier this week, someone on Twitter posted that they're sick of being bored and they want to go to a party and have sex with a stranger. All, like, very valid thoughts to have Mm. after a year of being locked inside your house. But, of course, in this climate that we are in, everyone piled on them. So either slut-shaming them or having a go at them for being so selfish, which was just expected, of course, because that's just where we're at right now with social media it feels but this kind of covid mentality of everyone coming for everyone about everything just feels so tiring yeah it's so boring but it also feels like i feel like i've seen this so much on social media recently where the gap between what people actually think and say and do in real life versus what they preach to say or do on social media just seems like it's getting wider and wider and wider and wider Mm. obviously everyone's sitting and thinking these things you know what I mean it's like obviously people are very sensitive to the fact that this is an awful pandemic that is affecting millions upon millions of people in like horrendously awful ways but on an individual level we're also having self-absorbed thoughts like god I'm sick of being in my house for a year. I really miss going out and socializing and partying with people. The idea that that somehow means that you have no feeling or sensitivity towards all the people adversely affected by the thing. It's like, how do you not get that those two things can exist? How do you not understand that those one, that, that they're not mutually exclusive? That even used to happen to us on the podcast. We were getting messages from people saying, do you guys not care about the pandemic because you're not mentioning the fact that people are dying every day and we're all locked inside and healthcare workers are working around the clock. I was like, of course we care about the pandemic, but we don't want to, what are we going to do? Like speak about it every five seconds. Yeah. And like, we've talked many times about how like most of my closest friends are nurses. We know so many people, like my aunt is an NHS key worker. Like we have so many people that work on the front line, Mm. but if we got on the podcast every week and cried about how awful the pandemic is, you guys would all stop listening. Like, humans aren't capable of holding these two things at once 24 hours of the day. You know what I mean? It's it's complicated. And I find it just so funny that it's like socialising is illegal and now saying that you miss socialising is becoming illegal because you have to watch everything you say. Of course, of course, everybody misses real life everybody misses seeing their friends and family some more than others like some people might feel completely fine and now that I have a sad lamp I actually feel completely fine in my house and I'm lucky to have a house but literally over here seeing your friends seeing anyone outside of who you live with is banned seeing your family is banned like yeah please we're allowed to miss going to a club and no one has danced in a club over here to whap that's Illegal. Yeah, no one's danced to Jewel Leaper's new album. I was listening to it today and I was like, I just want to be in a foul nightclub listening to Don't Start Now, whatever it's called. <laughs> just being a, a filthy bitch. Like, I just, I, that's why I love watching Drag Race because it reminds, Drag Race UK, because it reminds me of that period. But I just, I think the way that no one is giving anyone the benefit of the doubt 
at the moment, it's always been a thing on social media, but I think at the moment, and I understand because people are like very anxious. People are going through the worst time in their lives. Everyone is having a shit go of it. And there is obviously a temptation to direct that energy towards things that they see online that upset them. I even thought about it when I saw all the reaction to the Australia Day stuff Mm. where everyone was just dogpiling on people that were having barbecues. And I was like, okay, where were you last year? honey like or the year before yeah or the year before like this idea suddenly that we're not giving anyone any leeway and we're jumping on these kind of moralizing high horses about things that we ourselves have only learned very 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 recently it's very unappealing (laughs) that's the thing it's like you learn a new thing and then you want to prove that you've learned the new thing so you kind of go around and shout at everyone who hasn't learned the new thing yeah it's like i don't think that should be how we learn (laughs) no me and you went to an australia day party i took you to one you didn't even know what it was when we met you just come from new zealand and i was like let's go my friends are having an australia day party and we went to an australia day party did i know that indigenous australians didn't like it It, somewhere yes for sure that's not a new thing but it was just so ingrained in our culture that i just ignorantly didn't spend too much time thinking about it and then in the last couple of years I've become more educated and I've read up and blah, blah, blah. And we wouldn't do that now. And we wouldn't go and listen to the Triple J Hot 100 and dance to Flume because we wouldn't do that anyway because we're old. Yeah, but because we have seen this stuff, right? And it's like if other people are doing it, the chances are they probably haven't read the stuff you've read. It's like people are going towards people with the attitude of you've, you know everything I know. And you're still doing this. Or you should, and if you don't, you're stupid. Yeah, instead of being like, oh, that person, probably since they're celebrating it, doesn't know what I know. So maybe as a white person, I should put more effort into educating them than to like making them, like dogpiling them on Instagram because it's fun. I just think there's like a lot of hypocrisy on social media and it's just going to drive people off social media because it's just no fucking fun. It's no fun anymore. A journalist called Sophie K. Rosa wrote a really good piece on Novara Media about this specific tweet called In Defense of Sex and Parties. This is something I hadn't thought about. The pandemic has forced us all into these normative ways of living. So domesticity and monogamy are obviously valid choices, but they're also normative ones. They're lifestyles legally sanctioned and now legally mandated by the state. In a pandemic, we've all been shoehorned into lives approximating a neoliberal ideal. We work, we are atomized in private households, our sex lives are limited to established relationships, we exist in our work, our homes, and our health. Oh, and also, side note, I learned what neoliberal means. You know how you were saying that you've Googled it a thousand times and both of us forget? Yes. Okay, can I tell you what I think it means and you can tell me if I'm wrong? Is it to do with how much the government should spend and how much big businesses should look after themselves in terms of, like, schools and roads and stuff? Yeah, basically. So (laughs) what happened was – I'm going to butcher this – but what happened was there was the liberal – okay, there was a liberal movement or some some shit. But basically what (laughs) happened was – Guys, aren't you glad you listened to us? Neoliberal is a term to describe the last 40 years after Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan made changes to economic policies to make more money because 
after World War II, both countries were losing money and there was an economic crisis in the 70s. So then these guys came in and they both focused on the marketization of everything. So, for example, healthcare and schools being privatized and making money instead of being provided by the government. So they started making more money because they were charging more for things. And it was like that free market economy, which I don't really still understand, that they were promoting. And that's why the 80s was all like Glamazon, Big Shoulders, Dynasty, Vanity Fair. Everyone had heaps of money. It was all like bougie, bougie, bougie. Is because there was a big injection of cash. So neoliberal, that term is used to describe the last 40 years since then. So basically, yeah, she, this journalist was saying that, yeah, we've all been shoehorned into living lives approximating a neoliberal ideal because we're all basically forced to pretend we're married, even if we're not, if we're in a relationship, we're forced to work, we're forced to do these very normative things, go to work, make money, etc. And she was saying that a good party, as much as you can say it's frivolous and it's silly, is, among other things, an affront to capitalism. It can provide a collective escape from drudgery, a sanctuary from oppression, a chance to transcend. It revives our utopian imaginations. A good party has elements of prefiguration, glimpses into a better future. It gets you high on hope. I love that. I think that's so true. I think anyone who has friends in the queer community or is in the queer community can testify to the fact that partying and nightlife are where people find their chosen families. They're like essential social bonding activities. They're pretty much essential to many people's mental health. The idea that saying that you miss parties makes you a selfish asshole is so fucking misguided. It's like saying you miss having random sex and going out to things is the most fundamentally human thing to say it's saying you miss spontaneity it's saying you miss going out and not knowing what's going to happen it's saying you miss random contact with strangers it's saying you miss making a lifelong friendship with a girl in the line for the bathroom you know it's it's speaking to this like human instinct that we've all been robbed of for a year yeah exactly and even the history of raves as you said was a history of resistance, queer nightlife during the AIDS pandemic. Notting Hill Carnival was born of black resistance to racist violence during the 1950s. Parties have always said something. And even if they're not saying something, it's you being able to see friends and connect with people and drink a few of these gorgeous Beaujolais wines. Yeah, I just think about the whole essence of me being you know, a teenager in my early 20s and, like, figuring shit out and becoming a more interesting, evolved person. So much of that happened at, like, feral dank house parties (laughs) in the inner west. Yeah, yeah. I feel so sorry for kids, like, now who are missing that, those key years. Just free therapy for me, having, like, D&Ms with girls on washing machines and, like... (laughs) (laughs) dark hallways i know i've been thinking a lot about that lately actually washing machines washing machines (laughs) just partying i know i miss it my 30th next month everybody gonna be spending on a group (sighs) zoom with you lot it seems that makes me like really sad that's all right (laughs) (laughs) we'll have a Maybe you can have like a 30 and a half if mm. that would be cute because it'll be like sort of summer. A 30 and a quarter if in like June. 
and then we can all go um, hopefully somewhere sunny okay we're gonna quickly whip through a few stupid celebrity stories because we know you bitches love them we're saving them till the end because that's when we we're drunk (laughs) further into the what is it called Beaujolais. 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 We're further into the Beaujolais, so we're a bit more honest about these celebrity stories. (laughs) Megan and Harry are having baby number two. Obviously, we can both agree. Very, very cute. Happy, blessed, beautiful news. The fact that they're doing a tell-all with Oprah, it really harkens back to the 90s. I'm so excited, and I can't remember the last time people were excited about, like, an Oprah interview. Probably not for 10 years. When is this? It's next month. It's March. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Oh, my God. I hope it's on my birthday. It should be on your birthday. I'm going to ask Oprah (laughs) as a present for you. My 30th with Oprah, Megan, and Harry. God willing we can be together when it happens because oh, we yes. need to twitch our reaction oh my god yeah we need to get twitch specifically for this we would actually be very good on Gogglebox. we should apply we'd be good but like a bit saucy at times i fear oh cancelled immediately yeah but um i want to sit with you so twitch for those who don't know you can just live stream your reactions to stuff and people send you money while you do it it's amazing so if you guys are keen to pay us to for live reactions to the Megan Harry Oprah interview. Let's do it. I can just see it. Okay. Predictions. A montage of Meg in the house picking things up. So it's have you read the details? No. It's an interview with Meg and Harry comes in for the last five minutes. So the whole it's about Megan. Amazing. Heaven. That's all I want. That's all I want. Can you not see the visual montage already? Her hair's gonna be slicked back in a ponytail. Mm-hmm. She's gonna be in jeans, yes. white button down shirt. Yes. Big belly. I already had that in my brain until we, and then you said it. Yes. And she's going to show them in the house. Yeah. Walking around. She's going to open like a photo album of their wedding or something and be like pointing through the photos in the album. Mm-hmm. Archie will make an appearance. Something will happen. She'll have to pick him up. He'll do something silly and she'll be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 There'll be dogs. The dogs. The dogs will be there. The house will be like disheveled, but chic. Tastefully disheveled. Yes. And then she's going to, there's going to be a moment where she's going to be like, it was really hard. And there's going to be like a pause where she's trying to keep it together between. Of course. One word and the next word where she's going to be like, it was really difficult. And then an ad break. And then an ad break. (laughs) Harry is going to come in and say something like quite generic. Mm. They're going to say they were disappointed with the royal reaction for sure. What do you mean? Like, they're going to say, we were disappointed with how we were received after doing Mexit. Megan will say the line, I just care about my family now. Like, all I ever cared about was Harry. She'll call him H, like, a few times. Does she call him H? Yeah, do you remember she, in that interview, she was like, H, sorry, that's my nickname for him. We're like, what? <laughs> She's so silly. <laughs> She's so silly. She's such an LA girl. Yeah. I got Joe on the juice today, which is, reminds me of Meg. An homage to Meg. What are your other predictions? We should make a tally of those and like every everyone we get right, everyone who's watching our Twitch has to pay us a dollar. Remember when Archie was on my list of names and I read out predictions for their child's name and didn't say Archie, even though it was on the list? I was like, no, no. Yeah, that's... You just, you don't get any credit now. Yeah. What else will happen? Okay. Will they reference Kate and William? 
directly. No. I think they'll mention the royals as a unit and say things are fine. Like the queen and is always on Zoom with Archie. Loves catching up. We have family. uh, Like kimchi making sessions on a Saturday morning. Group Zooms. So true. Oh my God. They're definitely going to go to a farmer's market. Yes. Oh my God. And it's going to be Megan walking through with Oprah and she's going to be picking out like Swiss chard, goat's cheese and knowing all of the vendors because she always goes. She'll be like, hey. She'll probably go to the kitchen and make some sort of healthy smoothie-esque yeah. thing. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Next on the agenda, only a um, specific subgroup of AWD gives a shit about this, but we're going there. Claire and Dale from the Bachelorette USA after publicly breaking up, after publicly getting engaged on episode four, were spotted holding hands. I'm actually not convinced that anyone cares about this except us. No, we got DM'd it by like... Did we? Two people, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone should get across this because it is actually amazing celebrity gossip. So there's an Instagram account called at notskinnynotfat. You're the best Instagram account. She's a problematic name, but she's got great celebrity gossip and she's really funny. And she broke the news, I'm pretty sure, because she got sent from a random follower a picture of they were driving on a street... (laughs) (laughs) This is my favorite idea of just they were driving along a street and just saw Claire and Dale holding hands. I'm like, what the fuck? And took a photo in the moving car. But in the rear vision mirror, isn't it? Isn't it like a photo of the rear vision mirror? Which just shows them behind. (laughs) It's like literally the best detective work. And they're so unmistakable as a couple. Yeah, because he's fucking eight foot beautiful prince and she's like this cute little blonde yeah so they then posted a video of them going to get a pedicure together did they yeah and he was posting himself getting a pedicure and he was like i lost a bet and she's giggling in the background like really obviously okay so it's like publicity shit i actually think this is the bachelor franchise dragging their relationship out but i i'm concerned that claire thinks the reunion's real Another hilarious... I think we're going to have to cut a few of these stories, but we're definitely not cutting Anna Delvey. I think Anna Delvey coming back onto Instagram might save Instagram. It's the only interesting thing happening on there right now. It is very, very good content. So I didn't even know she'd gotten out of jail, but she got out of jail in December or something. Well, she came back on Instagram in December. Was it for COVID reasons? I don't know. Well, she's just done her time. But she's back and she's pretty funny on it she's so funny because she had like a really specific aesthetic on instagram which i actually think was dated for the time but it was very like 2012-esque black and white pictures with a kelvin filter of dumb shit like your sunglasses on a bed or something and she's just keeping up with that aesthetic which is there's something just really compelling about it that you just can't look away it's like chappelle corby going on instagram and putting her partner's her hand through her partner's foot. Some similar vibe. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like it has really chaotic energy. And she's posting these kind of blog posts with really salacious headlines, like talking about Harvey Weinstein and Donald Trump, but then the articles are just about how there was like a shortage of nut butter at the jail because of COVID. Anna Delvey is important. And that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. She really is. I actually wasn't super across her until even maybe last year or the year before. But she's the woman who conned a bunch of 
millionaires and billionaires and New York's kind of elite social scene out of millions of dollars by basically just pretending to be rich when she had no money. And then she went to jail for it. And she went to jail. But the thing, when you listen to this, a podcast called Fake Heiress, it's like really uncomfortable because they do dramatic reenactments and they're really poorly done and you really have to suffer through them. But the podcast is good. (laughs) The story is so fascinating because she came like really, really close to pulling it off. She basically wanted to open a cafe gallery art space in the center of Manhattan. And she, she was literally within what do you call it, a hair's breadth of getting it. She got a bank to secure her a loan for like $28 million. She had all these investors involved. That's right. She basically had to get a bank to wire her $130,000 to secure her the loan for the $1.4 million to blah, blah, blah. And she was doing it all from her parents' farmhouse in Germany. If she'd have pulled it off, it probably would have been a successful business venture. Yeah, of course, yeah. She's very clever. In many ways, it's like, this tale of nepotism because all of these people who don't have much industry are just given money and allowed to do business ventures a la Jared Kushner. And this is this girl that came from nothing that almost orchestrated an amazing product launch. And now she's in jail. She's naughty. She's a naughty girl, but I love her. Yeah, I want her on the pod. I love how she wore those like weird chokers in court. I was looking at who she follows, and she follows, like, Kanye West, Donald Trump, and then one that's called Anna Delvey's Court Outfits. <laughs> she follows them. Oh, my God. <laughs> Love. Paris Hilton, as you predicted, got in ba- engaged to her sweet little billionaire, Carter. Carter. Such a bad American name. So funny, just the way that... I really, 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 really hate Paris Hilton's Instagram. Aesthetic vibe basically she doesn't post any photos it's all videos it's all two videos that flick back and forth and back and forth every single photo on her feed it's like so chaotic it makes me feel a bit i don't know that (laughs) yeah go on her instagram try and find a photo you won't be able to anyway she got engaged to carter and announced it with a vogue story but the most hilarious part about it is that they'd obviously gotten a professional photographer to take photos of her pretending to be surprised at the engagement and then submitted them to Vogue. So he's down on one knee with the ring box open and she's got her hand on her chest with her mouth open, like posing. (laughs) Oh God. And they're both wearing white. It's like so cute and so jade. She's such an icon. And Nikki Hilton's there. Who's like actually honestly a massive legend. It seems. (laughs) She just looks like she's just been forced to be there and she's just like, fine, fine, fine. Yeah. (laughs) I find Paris so funny. And then they announced it in Vogue and then she posted about it on Instagram. It's really cute. I hope that this is her forever guy. It looks like she's, it looks like the Kourtney Kardashian, Travis Barker thing where Paris has said, all right, I'm going to go for the nice guy. We love to see it. We love to see it. We want to see it in JLo next. I really like Kourtney Kardashian and Travis Barker. What's his face? Yeah. Baker, like Con A2 Baker guy. I didn't really care, but I kind of got it shoved in my face to the point where I'm like, oh, this is like quite a sweet love story because <laughs> he was her neighbor for 10 years or something and they have kids similar ages. They're both divorced. He did an interview a few years ago talking about how cool he thinks Courtney is. And that was really cute. He's basically probably loved her forever and now she's like, all right. She's had enough of those like young fucking 
toy boys. That last guy she was dating was so hot. Yunez or whatever. Yunez, yeah. Oh my god. I saw him at Coachella. She was on his shoulders at Beyonce right beside us and I was like god really you're a hot man yeah we're in the back of her photo of her on his shoulders <laughs> but god he's That's a good so looking funny. man but yeah she's she's decided to be a smart girl and go for the nice guy I like Courtney I think she's underrated yeah cute like him bye bye <laughs> rate review and subscribe <laughs>